Bring it in. All right, real quick. I recorded the rest of the pod last night. It is now Tuesday morning before Eagles Chiefs. Uh, and a couple of things have happened since then. Obviously, Eagles Chiefs, great, ugly, weird, gross game. I'll talk about that real quick. Uh, and then also a little bit else, a little bit of other news that came out this morning. Um, and then we'll get you to all the stuff I recorded yesterday. But just wanted to open up the pod real quick with the Eagles and Chiefs. Gross, weird, bizarre game. Honestly, I still don't understand how the Eagles won that game. It honestly doesn't. It still doesn't make sense. And and here we are the next morning. And I've listened to podcasts and I've gone through the numbers and I've rewatched part of the game. And I, I still, I still don't quite understand how the Eagles pulled that win off. It was such a weird game. Um, Credit to the Eagles. Obviously, the second half, like everyone's going to come in this morning and everyone's going to talk about this all week and be like, well, you know, the Chiefs, Chiefs drops and MVS drops that deep ball at the end. And that's exactly what what stopped this game. Uh, That's exactly what happened. Uh, You know, the Chiefs lost this game. The Eagles didn't do anything. And a lot of Cowboys fans are out there saying that, look, there's no question the Eagles got some good some good breaks. Um, I thought the officiating on both sides in this game, there were some really good calls or some missed calls. Um, ultimately though, for the most part, I felt like it was pretty fair from an officiating standpoint. Uh, the, the chiefs got away with a hold on their first touchdown. The Eagles got away with a hold on their first touchdown. The drops ultimately may, were, were huge for Kansas city, but they also had two red zone turnovers. Travis Kelsey fumbles the ball on the five yard line or 10 yard line, gives the ball back to the Eagles and them home. throws the interception in the back of the end zone on a lazy throw, uh, to a guy that was open and Mahomes just put it in a bad spot. So ultimately, like, look, the Eagles made plays that won the turnover margin and say what you will, but it is hard to win games in Arrowhead at this time of the year. It is the first time, uh, sorry, not the first time. It's just the third time in Mahomes' career that he has lost a game uh, this late into the season at home. Uh, the first two times, uh, sorry, while also having a double-digit lead. It's only the third time in Mahomes' career in total that they've blown a double-digit lead at home. The first two came from Cincinnati uh, in 2021. The second time came from Cincinnati game as uh, Cincinnati again in the playoffs in 2021. So this was a bizarre game, right? Ultimately, the Eagles deserve a shitload of credit for the way they played in the second half. Uh, stopping them. I mean, the, the way that I believe it went punt, punt, fumble, punt, pump, turnover on downs, right? They held the Chiefs to just six possessions in the second half and gave up zero points. Um, people will say again, people will focus on the drops. No question. Travis Kelsey drops the one on their final drive, right? To force fourth down. Mahomes goes right back to him and he catches the ball on fourth down, right? So it immediately makes up for the mistake there. Uh, I don't know how much you're losing off of that. The MVS drop, that's the thing that everyone's going to talk about. That's the thing that headlined get up this morning. That's the thing that that's going to headline a lot of this conversation. There's no question. You drop, you have five, six drops in a game. That's going to be a massive differentiator. But ultimately, like this is a reason why the Eagles are a really good team. Because in a lot of ways, these two teams are very evenly matched, right? If you go across the board and you put the checks onto each position group and each, each area in the field, 
it's going to end up being about even. But the one massive difference between Kansas City and the Eagles is the wide receiver position. And Devontae Smith making an unbelievable adjustment on a ball, catching that ball at the one-yard line. Jalen Hurts, tush, push, gets it in. Those plays were massive in this game. The Chiefs ran for more yards in the first half in this game than the Eagles had given up in an entire game all season. They then come out and hold them to 46 yards in the second half on the ground. The Eagles made adjustments. Uh, This is back-to-back weeks where the Eagles held Dallas to six points in the second half and the Chiefs to zero points in the second half. And say what you will, I know we've talked about what's wrong with this Chiefs offense. We've been saying it all year. There are some problems. You, you, You can definitely see them. But the Chiefs are still really fucking good. It's still Patrick Mahomes. Mahomes is still out there throwing dimes. That that third and ten throw uh, where Mahomes is the Eagles send full out pressure. Mahomes absolute dropping the bucket on the sideline to Justin Watson. I mean, what an unreal throw. Mahomes is still fucking Patrick Mahomes. No matter what, he is still going to be dangerous. He's still going to be unreal. And that defense is no joke. That defense is really, really, really good. Um, it's the first time I can remember in a long time where the Eagles lost the battle in the trenches with their offensive line. The Chiefs D-line had them, and and Spags had them absolutely in shambles the entire game, and yet they still found a way. You know, the Eagles still found a way to win this game. They had three drives that ended up being the difference makers here in this game. You have the, the touchdown drive in the first half, the two in the second half, Ultimately, like that was the difference maker. If they were able to go down, they got the two turnovers. They went three and out on both of those turnovers, but they also prevented Kansas City from scoring. So you couple with like, hey, they needed three good drives. They got three really awesome drives. The rest of the offense looked really rough the rest of the game. A lot of that has to do with how good Kansas City's defense is, not necessarily the Eagles playing horribly offensively. They just got outplayed on that side of the ball, and yet they still were able to win this game with a, a, a C-plus B effort from their offense. They did what they had to do. They made big plays when they needed to make it. And considering the weather, the situation, uh, all that stuff, it was it was really, really, really impressive that the Eagles ended up pulling off this game because the Chiefs don't lose an arrowhead in general, but they really don't lose this time of year. They don't blow to, uh, I believe, Andy Reidson's taking over for the Chiefs as – uh, with something like 67 and six all time with a two touchdown or two score lead. Uh, it is hard, man. It is really, really hard to beat the Chiefs in Arrowhead, let alone coming back from a, a double digit deficit, a two possession deficit. And the Eagles did just that. They shut the Kansas City Chiefs out in the second half. They had an unbelievable game plan defensively uh, in that second half. Credit to Sean Desai and this defense. And Mahomes is obviously impossible to bring down. Like that's kind of his calling card is how nifty and quick and agile he is in the pocket, in the pocket awareness. We saw that on display in the first half, that, that scramble up the sideline where he out, you know, kind of juked out Fletcher Cox ends up getting, getting them into field goal range. Like those plays are what make Mahomes so special. And yet when the Eagles needed it most on a third and 10, right? Josh sweat, hustle, hustle, hustle. Hassan Reddick beats the right tackle. Uh, Juwan Taylor, and then you just see Josh Sweat coming from the other side because Hassan beat his guy, forced uh, Patrick Mahomes out of the pocket. You just saw the bend in Josh Sweat just continue to continue, continue. He gets there. Mahomes has no choice but to try to throw it away. Ends up being intentional grounding. It's a spot foul, and it's a loss of down. So it's a fourth and 25. And, you know, look, if Justin Watson makes that catch and one unreal throw on fourth and 25 by Mahomes to get that 
right in the hands of Justin Watson. That's a hard catch to make. Um, it's a bang, bang play. I like the no call there. I would have honestly said the same thing if the players were reversed, right? You'd want it as a fan. Objectively, though, it's a bang, bang play. And, and if that had been called for pass interference, I think a lot more people would have been upset for it and by it than anything else. Uh, it's hard to say whether this game lived up to the hype. It was a really stressful game as a fan. But as a football fan, it, it was just two heavyweight teams playing an ugly game in the rain on Monday Night Football in cold, loud environment. And the Eagles found a way to get it done. And at the end of the day, you give a shitload of credit to this Eagles team for winning that game. Obviously, the Chiefs shot themselves in the foot a few times. The Eagles did too, right? The Eagles didn't help themselves. The Eagles had a ton of bad penalties. They couldn't get off the field in third down. Mahomes, I think, ended up being uh, 7 of 11 on third down for the game. Uh, the Eagles could not get off the field when it came to third down. Mahomes played like Mahomes plays. Two big plays, keeps points off the board for the Eagles. Uh, Kevin Byard making his first big play as an Eagle. And then uh, uh, same thing with Roby. Roby makes an unbelievable play to punch that ball out for Travis Kelsey. And, you know, that's really what the difference was here. Even though the Eagles didn't capitalize on those drives, keeping them out of the end zone, keeping them off the scoreboard, even on those two trips to the red zone, uh, that's going to do a lot for your team. And people are going to focus in on, on the drops and people are going to focus in on, you know, MVS dropping that deep ball, which was a ridiculous throw, but the Eagles just keep finding ways to win games like this. And they're just the third team in NFL history to have back-to-back seasons uh, that start nine and one. It was the, I think, Oh five, Oh six Colts. And then like the 96 through 98 Broncos did it three years in a row. We'll see. I mean, the scary thing is, and, and Hurts, and everyone keeps saying this, like we still haven't seen the Eagles play a complete game yet. We're getting to the point in the season where we're going to need to see a complete game. And I know this stretch is really hard, but to get this win, you get the Cowboys win, you know, you 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 steal that game away from the commanders, you get the Cowboys wins, you go on a bye. Jalen looked a lot healthier running the ball, uh, a lot more willing to run the ball in this game. And then now you're going to see, you know, the Eagles come in, they beat Dallas before the bye week. They needed that win. They need to at least split the series with Dallas. So they get the first win at home and then they go and they beat Kansas city. That's unbelievable. Uh, They have Buffalo, San Francisco, uh, Dallas, and Seattle coming up. I mean, those are four really tough games. If the Eagles end up going two and two in there, I think if they can beat Dallas, that'll pretty much lock up the the division for them. Um, And, and look, the, the lions are still only a game back. So if the Eagles can somehow find a way to beat Buffalo this week, maybe we see a more complete game. The defense for Buffalo has been up and down. I think the Eagles will be able to move the ball better against Buffalo. The question is, how does the secondary and how does this defense hold up against Josh Allen? They need a little bit more of, of uh, mistake-prone Josh Allen than they need the guy who we saw on Sunday against the Jets. I'm hoping that we see a little bit more of uh, a mistake Josh Allen than we see not mistake Josh Allen, but it should be a, it should be a really fun couple of weeks here for the Eagles and look nine and one they haven't all been pretty it's crazy to think the only quarterback that's beaten the Eagles so far this year is Zach Wilson who just got benched for Tim Boyle but that's where we're at that's where we're at the Eagles are nine and one they they need to steal as many of these games as possible and the fact that they came back after the way they looked in the first half how bad the offense did to put together two really really big drives um that's huge that is absolutely huge and it's nice to see the turnover margin kind of favor the Eagles a little bit there 
you know, the one Eagles pick there, the Jalen threw, if he holds on the ball a little bit longer, that's a walk-in touchdown for A.J. Brown. It was a miscommunication. A.J. Brown went for the deep shot. Jalen had already thrown the ball. By the time A.J. looked up, the, the play was over. Heads-up play, too, by the way, from uh, A.J. Brown for almost, you know, letting letting the guy from Kansas City, I forget who it was. I think it might have been uh, uh, Sneed, maybe. Um letting him get up and then try to strip the ball. It's a shame, you know, the, he just touched him down just barely. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, that's a really heads up play from him. And then also shout out Jalen Carter for the trying to pick off the, 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 the uh, spike at the end of the first half. That was a fucking awesome, awesome play. Uh, it would have been cool if he had found a way to do it, but uh, love, love that. That was just fun, creative. And apparently he did that all on his own. He said he saw a video of it on, on, in, on the internet somewhere and wanted to try it. No one told him to do it. He just saw it, tried to make a play. I thought it was really, really heads up, really fun. Um, you know, and for all the stuff with him off the field that people are concerned about, uh, people were concerned about coming into the draft here. Uh, I was really, really impressed with what we saw um, out of Jalen Carter so far this year and what we've seen out of him because the dude seems to be a film nut and he seems to be in, and, and part of that's probably having BG and Fletch and some of those vets there to, uh, as well as Nicobe and, and Jordan Davis, his teammates. But he, he does seem like he's all in and he's about winning and and he's a monster. He's, he's an absolute monster. So uh, gutty, gross, ugly win. But, you know, from, from the TV show Shorzy, right? They don't ask how, they ask how many. And that's where we're at right now. The Eagles are 9-1. That's how many games they've won. We'll see how many more they can win moving forward. Uh, the other piece of news here that I wanted to touch on, I do go into a little bit of a rant when I talk about the Pittsburgh Steelers in this pod, um, Matt Canada has been fired as the offensive coordinator for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And it's about damn time. So you'll hear me vent a little bit in this pod, but um, yeah, it's, it's the correct decision. It's probably a little too, too little too late, but Hey, the Steelers are still six and four. Maybe this sparks some offense. Maybe they start doing some more stuff that Kenny Pickett likes some of the stuff they used to run when he was at Pitt. Um, some of that Pat and Arduzzi offense, they have weapons, the offensive line is a lot better than it was last year. Hopefully this is a spark for this Pittsburgh team. Maybe we'll see the offense look a bit, be- little bit better. And, and more importantly, for your evaluation of Kenny Pickett, right? This is his second year starting, but he's also 25. So by the time his rookie contract ends, right, when you can decide on that fifth year, he'll be 28. And at that point, you should probably know, right? The, the window is like kind of now with Kenny where it's like, all right, hey, Rookie contract. He's not super young. We need to see if this guy's going to be something. If not, then we need to look look ahead down the line. And getting rid of Matt Canada and and maybe trying to do some some different things offensively to that open up the pass team. Some of the stuff that Kenny likes to do. Um, get him rolling out. Let the offense move. Go a little more up tempo. I think we can see a better version of Kenny Pickett than what we've seen so far. And this gives you an opportunity, I think, to evaluate him under a different set of circumstances where you're not necessarily completely locked in on, all right, this is Matt Canada's offense and it's just failing and there's just nothing you can do and it's boring and predictable. This at least gives you a chance to evaluate him under a different set of circumstances, which I think is really valuable, especially for a team that's six and four. And if the season ended right now, they would be a playoff team. So that's where we're at. That's all the stuff I wanted to catch you guys up on. And we have a great pod, solo pod. So sit, sit tight. Pod's coming up. Right after this. Bring it in. Read option podcast back and better than ever. We have a solo pod today. Uh, Scotty and Vito. They're busy bees, man. They're out there doing a bunch of stuff. Uh, and obviously 
they can't always make it. You know, we're always thankful that they sacrifice as much of their time away from their jobs and, and stuff going on in their life to, to spend some time here on the pod with us um, with all of you guys every single week. Uh, but they will not be here this week. So you're stuck with me. Uh, I promise this won't be a, a crazy long pod. We'll keep it nice, sweet. We'll hit the games, hit some points that I kind of want to bring up along the way. Uh, and uh, and we'll get going there uh, from, from there. Uh, do want to make a note. We are recording right now. It is 445 East Coast time. So we are still a few hours away. From Eagles Chiefs, the most anticipated game of the weekend. Uh, I'm still feeling good, but the Eagles pick right now. Uh, it's interesting. It seems like it's all across the board with where people have their picks in for this game. As of right now, the line still at Kansas City two and a half. You're seeing a lot of people who are really in on board with this Eagles team coming in. But then, you know, it's obviously Mahomes. Anytime you're going up, it's weird to pick against Mahomes. The Andy Reid, 27 and four all time uh, coming off of a bye. Uh, there's a lot of stuff going into perhaps why people uh, might want to pick Kansas City as well as how the Super Bowl last year went. We'll see if this Eagles defense is any better. Uh, confirmed Cam Jorgens, Jorgens is back and uh, Bradley Roby returns to the lineup uh, for the Philadelphia Eagles. Hopefully going to add a little bit of stability out of that nickel spot. They don't have to play, you know, Sidney Brown, who's a safety rookie down in that spot. There's a few different guys they've used to try to plug and play, whether it's Josh Job. Um, but there's been a lot of mix and matching, trying to figure out that nickel spot since Avante Maddox went out early in the season. And, you know, Braden wrote uh, Roby there. You know, they, they brought him in off the street to do this because this is kind of what his specialty is. He looked pretty good in his first game doing that before the injury. So we'll see if he can do that for the birds. Um, but we'll see. It should be a really, really interesting game. Uh, I hope it lives up to the expectation. I'm nervous as hell. And by the time you're all listen to this, you know, either I'm in a great mood right now, or I'm in a terrible mood. Either way, it is Thanksgiving week. <clears throat> Happy Thanksgiving early to everybody here. We will be releasing another pod. It might end up being solo. It might end up being with the boys. Uh, if it's solo, it'll be quick, easy. We'll rattle off with the picks. We'll get you guys, everybody locked in on that to make sure everyone's picks are locked in uh, and to get you guys ready for Thursday night, Thursday football, right, with Thanksgiving. But then we also have a Friday night game, a Black Friday game between the Dolphins and the Jets on Friday night. And then we'll have a normal Sunday slate. We will also throw in our picks for, you know, Michigan, Ohio State, uh, we got a few games like that that we're looking forward to being able to throw into the mix here. So I'm I'm very excited. Uh, this is an awesome, awesome week of football. It's always one of the best week. Also, if you're big college basketball ahead, you got the feast week going on. There's tons of fun stuff to get to um, and to, to be locked into on the uh, sports side of things. So it uh, should be a good time. Get excited. Everyone have their safe travels. We'll try to make sure we have our uh, our preview pod out for anyone that's traveling on Wednesday so you guys can get locked in for all the games coming up in the NFL and in college coming up this week. So lots of fun stuff. Uh, before we get into the games, we'll go over quick. Again, we still have Eagles Chiefs tonight, but as of now, it was a bit of an up and down week here for your boys uh, with our picks against the spread uh, in terms of our locks. Scotty currently sitting at 0-2. He does have the Eagles as one of his locks. So, again, you'll know that. I don't know that right now, but you'll know that. Time traveling here. You guys will know whether Scotty improved to 1-2 and or 0-3. Uh, I went 1-1-1 one, one, one in my locks. Stupidly took the Commanders. Don't know why I did that. We'll get into that game a little bit. Uh, Cowboys covered. Seahawks, Rams, you had a push there at one point. 
Um, but that ended up going towards uh, nobody because it was a push. Uh, and then Vito also going one, one and one. He had the Chargers as a lock. He had the Cowboys with me and he had the Seahawks with me. So we both go one, oh, and one with our two locked picks. And then I took the commies. He took the Chargers and that kind of set us off. But uh, Scotty started off the week pretty hot with a lot of his picks. Dropped off a little bit. Uh, he's currently sitting at, let's see, quick math, six and six, six and one as it currently stands. Uh, I started 0 and four to start off with my picks only to rally and uh, and get uh, go on a big time heater. I am currently seven, five and one. Uh, so do that quick math. Yeah, I went one, one. I went seven, one and one in my last nine picks. And then again, we have the Eagles tonight. And then Vito, uh, similar to me, got, but he did get Thursday night, right? Then he had the first five wrong from Sunday. Uh, he's sitting there right now at five, seven and one. Uh, we will see again with the Eagles. We're all on the Eagles. So hopefully we can all just add a little, little W there, a little notch onto everyone else's scores. And then, uh, we'll get everybody rolling. Um, that's really all I got. Not much else going on. The Phillies resigned Aaron Nola. Okay, you know, uh, I'd love to see that dude, uh, you know, not be as inconsistent, but he's got his money now. Maybe that'll help calm him down. We'll see. Um, but other than that, you know, we've, we haven't really talk, talked uh, any NBA yet this year. It is early. Uh, I will at least say if I'm going to bring up the NBA, holy shit, Mwembenyama is so fun. Uh, obviously not every sing, single game. He's coming in, lighting it up. He had that 38-point performance early in the season. Um but he's going to be good, man. As long as he stays healthy, he's going to be really, really, really good. He is so just – it's unlike anything we've ever seen. And, and we say that a lot in sports, but most – and most of the time it is hyperbole. But th- this time it's true. I mean, seeing a dude at that height when he was standing next to Durant, when they, when he put – I think it was the 38 was against the, uh, against the Suns. Seeing him next to Durant and he's a full head taller than Durant is – is wild. It, it really is. He isn't just a, an absolute freak, but he is as advertised and is so fun to watch. So I've, I've been watching a lot of Wemby when I can. And also shout out to Tyrese Maxey. Uh, the James Harden trade, we didn't really talk about on the pod. We don't really usually get a lot of time to touch on other sports, but Ty, what Tyrese Maxey's doing right now for the Sixers team is just, it's really, really incredible. Um, this kid comes out of nowhere to have this unbelievable run, um, not to shed a nowhere, but like when he was drafted, he was what 23rd over 22nd, 23rd overall pick. No one expected a guy who could come out and give you a 50 burger. No one expected this guy to be as dominant as he is. He's pulling up for three from the logo. Uh, the three point shooting is unbelievable. He's got this insane burst where it seems like there's no way he's going to get to the rim next to this guy. Next thing you know, he just gets that little edge and gets around him. He is so fun to watch and to pair him with Embiid. Uh, you know, if Maxi keeps playing like this, he's an all-star. He just is. And then you're looking at two legitimately good all-stars. Tobias Harris, whose contract year Tobias Harris is absolutely a thing. So you get that. The Harden trade, you don't get a, a single player that you're really excited about, but you do have depth. You do have a bunch of wings and bodies you can throw at Tatum and Brown um, in the postseason, which you're going to need when you go up against that Celtics team. And so far, the first two games against the Celtics, this uh First couple of games the Eagles or Eagles, Sixers have played against the Celtics have been really really fun games. Uh, the Sixers getting one of them, and then uh, I think the Celtics have the other. So it's it's been a it's been a fun start to the NBA season, as we always say. Doesn't really start until Christmas Day, uh, but even this year we're gonna have NFL games on Christmas Day. So I'm not sure how much we're gonna be paying attention to the NBA on that day. Uh, but that's kind of when the start of the season really starts to feel like all right. Now we can lock into the NBA. 
Uh, last thing here before I take a quick break and we'll jump into the uh, the weekend recap. I want to give a shout out to James Madison University. Um, the Dukes fell short on Saturday. An unbelievable comeback in, uh, with that, that last two minutes. Fourth and 18, I thought it was dead. Then next thing you know, he hits Surratt in fourth and 18. He hits Surratt for the touchdown and then gets the two-point conversion. Still don't know how he got his foot in bounds there. Uh, it was the first time in a very long time I can remember watching a JMU team who just got bodied at the line of scrimmage. And ultimately, that's what it was. The defensive line for App State flat out outplayed JMU's offensive line, which just doesn't happen a whole lot. And with all of the hype and the excitement and the energy and everything that went into that JMU team this year, uh, everything that went into it, uh, and, and in particular, obviously, Saturday with game day and PFT and Pat McAfee and everything about it, which was so unbelievably electric. And, and I'll touch on that in one second. It was just it had all the fixings of when they had it for the first time in 2015. And I was there. I slept out on the quad that night. I, I was at the game. They they blow the game to Richmond and it was like all this air gets left out, you know, let out of the balloon. And it is such a disappointing feeling when you have this unbelievable momentum and this energy and it's palpable and it just comes up a little bit short. You like to think of Jalen Green is healthy and is in this game. Maybe that makes a difference. Um, maybe the couple of times where it felt like Jamie was just about to get it to the quarterback. They came up just a touch short. If you have a guy like Jalen Green in there, still leading the uh, college football, by the way, even though he hasn't played in the last two weeks, still leading college football with sacks so far um, this season. He's He was such a tremendous player, and you'd think, hey, you have him in there. Maybe you're able to get to the quarterback a little bit easier during that, uh, during that game. They were just a half second short on so many big moments, and the secondary was always good, but the way that Jamie's defense operated and the reason why it was so good is because the defensive line was so dominant that you can have a, a decent secondary, a pretty good secondary, but with a really, really good defensive line, and it'll make your secondary look amazing, right? Because you're just generating so much pressure. You're, you're, you're getting in the way of, uh, you know, completed passes just because there's, <coughs> excuse me, just because there's not enough time, right? And in this game, you saw like our secondary got a little bit exposed there in the second half. They still played great. I mean, both sides of the ball, both teams played really good. It was an unbelievable game with a really, really electric finish. It's a shame JMU came up short on the uh, on the other side of that, but it was a really awesome game. And it was a really cool moment, you know, with all the talk with, you know, JMU going undefeated and then the lawsuit that was going to get sent to the NCAA from the state of Virginia. And, and I think I think that lawsuit still will go through because it's it's kind of bigger than just JMU. It's it's trying to set a new precedent, you know, um, in, in college sports into the NCAA, which the NCAA's power is all fake and made up. And I did a whole like dissertation type thing in college where I had to do a really, really in-depth research paper. And it was basically on the topic of how did the NCAA get their power to begin with? Because it's all bullshit. Uh, they basically just decided one day, like, yeah, we have this authority. And people are like, well, you can't do that. And they're like, what well, says, it doesn't say anywhere that we can't do that. And then it became a whole thing. And that was basically the impetus of how, the incidentally got its powers and JMU is, is a good example. And, you know, with NIL and some of the stuff as we're seeing, the NCAA doesn't like to lose power. You know, they, they've lost a lot of power in the last couple of years between the transfer portal, between the NIL stuff. Uh, and now obviously with all the conference realignment, the NCAA, they want to hold on to any amount of power that they can because they really are as scummy as people say. And, you know, I think a lot of that stuff can be hyperbole. A lot of that stuff can be over overstated. Not in this case. Um, in this case, like the NCAA is as scummy as it is as it looks on on paper. They 
they're in this for the for the power and for the money and and they're not into it for the the benefit of the student athlete and that's really the sad thing um so i do hope that the lawsuit goes through i i hope that the stage in, in game day the largest crowd in the history of college game day twenty six thousand people on the quad that's way more than when i was there uh when i was there i think it was at like 16 or 17 thousand so we're talking about almost ten thousand more people at this college game day than the two times i was there it was it was really, really special. It was really cool to see on TV, to see PFT out on the quad, just to see anywhere, anywhere you go that you spend. And then anyone who's who's gone to college who has that connection with the school, you know when that feeling. Um, you know, when you walk around your old campus and you get those butterflies and that excitement, you know, and, and then to see a school like JMU, which like when I went there, they weren't even like back to a dominant powerhouse in the FCS. Um, you know, it, it really wasn't until Mike Houston got there, which was my sophomore year, that they really started to blow up. And that's when they won the national championship. Then the next year they had game day again. Uh, they went back to the national championship and it was them in North Dakota State there for about five years as, as the premier programs in the FCS. In that time, Jamie wins a national championship in women's lacrosse. Uh, they, they have multiple runs with the women's basketball team. Uh, men's soccer team making a run in the NCAA uh, tournament. We the, the softball run through the women's college world series, which was unbelievable. Um, the, we, we saw moments like this, you know, all throughout uh, the last five years. And so football was obviously a big impetus for that. Uh, but to think that school that I went and visited, you know, over 10 years ago now is where it is now um, in terms of, of brand recognition, national spotlight, uh, an understanding of it, not just, Oh, here's a plucky FCS school, but like a legitimate, legitimate, uh, FBS, really, really good D1 football program uh, is special. It, it really, really is. And, and I hope something good comes out of it. I hope in the, you know, next year we're able to field a really, really competitive team once again. And and know we're going to lose some guys and Signetti's going to hammer the transfer portal and they'll, they'll make a run, you know, and, and it just sucks that, you know, we're looking at two years and two years in a row, um, JMU should have been in the Sunbelt championship game and they should have had a chance to win a conference championship, and they've been denied that to this point. Um, fingers crossed, something something changes, something happens. JMU gets lucky if there's not enough bowl-eligible teams. Like, that's still the easiest way for JMU to make a bowl game uh, this year. But if this injunction and the lawsuit and everything that kind of comes in works, then there's a good chance that JMU could be bowling this year no matter what. So I hope that that happens for the kids. I hope it happens for the players. They deserve it. Um and the fans, man, I mean, you just can't say enough good things about the JMU fans. They, they showed out big time. It's it's a fun, fun fan base who who gives a shit, man. You know, there's a lot of fan bases in college football that when your team's good, you don't give a shit. But and, and JMU was that at the FCS. Like we we got kind of bored of it after a little while until we had big games. And as soon as you had a big game, national semifinal, I mean, the Duke fans always, always showed out. And so now to be in a position where we get to do this moving forward and we had the national spotlight here and we had McAfee wearing JMU football tank tops and all that. Stuff. It's, it's a, it was a surreal weekend from that perspective. It's, it sucks. It didn't work out the way that it should have. Uh, and the, that Jamie didn't, but hats off to app state, man. I mean, they balled out in that game. They, they played really, really, really good football and they deserved, they deserved the win. Um, I did say, and this will be the last thing I did see this on Twitter that the, the people in Boone, North Carolina were, uh, I think it's North Carolina, maybe West Virginia. Um, but the people of Boone were, were flooding the streets because they beat JMU. And somebody put it well, which is that if you're the team that when you get beat, 
the other team's fans are, are storming the streets and climbing light posts. Uh, that says a lot about where where you are as a, as a program and, and says a lot about JMU. So shout out to JMU Nation. Shout out to all of our listeners who have become de facto JMU fans that I've kind of forced upon you guys without uh, any sort of consent. So <laughs> uh, we do appreciate the support and let's hope to see JMU in a bowl game. I think it'll be fun. All right, it's like a quick break. We'll come back. We have lots to get into from week 11 in the NFL this past weekend. So stick, hang tight. We'll get to you guys in just one second. All right, week 11, lots to get to. Uh, again, I know when it's just me talking, you know, how much how much you guys really want to listen to when it's just me. So uh, we're going to jump into this. We're going to start with the Thursday night game, and I'm not going to re- regale the whole game, right, because the game itself wasn't really that interesting. What is interesting, however, is the byproduct of this game, which is that the Cincinnati Bengals season is done. Um, no disrespect to Jake Browning. When Joe Burrow goes out, the Cincinnati Bengals go out. Uh, you can have Jamar Chase. You can have T. Higgins. You can have great defense. You can have all this stuff. It just doesn't matter. Um, my pick to win the Super Bowl is officially dead, not butthurt at all. Um, but what I am butthurt about, if I can say that, is just I really love the Cincinnati team. I love Joe Burrow. And I think I speak for a lot of casual fans when they say that, that Joe Burrow is an objectively awesome player to watch play football. He is so accurate, consistent, the way his brain um, processes things. When he's playing, they just find ways to win games. And it was clear, and what seemed odd was the ending of that Houston game last week. He definitely didn't look 100%, but I, it wasn't anything super noticeable in the moment, right? You were just kind of like, eh, something just seems a little bit off. Um, something seemed a little bit off of this Bengals team all year, but they get on that hot streak and you're like, all right, boom, Bengals are back. This is what they do. They have a slow start and then they rip off four wins in a row. They run to the, what we now see is a buzzsaw with the fucking Houston Texans. And can't wait to talk about them in a little bit and, and what CJ Stroud's doing. But ultimately when you go up in these kinds of games and throughout the season, we knew that this was going to be a physical football game, right? AFC North, Thursday night football. It's it just the, the Ravens are arguably the most physical team in the NFL right now, and that's a huge reason why they're as successful as they are. Joe Burrow from the get-go, you could tell there wasn't so, – something wasn't quite right. And he's never had the, the Josh Allen, Mahomes-type arm that, that, that just blows you away. But he's always had enough juice to make the throws, right? And it was pretty apparent in that second quarter that I was like, all right, something's off here. Everyone saw the clip of him trying to throw the ball on the sidelines. And, and it's just – it's a bummer, man. I mean, we, we are currently looking at an NFL where there are backups and rookies playing on so many teams. And there's still more to come, right? So uh, if you go all the way back to the Aaron Rodgers thing, right, we'll start with the AFCs. Aaron Rodgers goes out. Then it's Zach Wilson. Well, Zach Wilson's not been replaced, and it was announced that Tim Boyle's going to be starting quarterback moving forward. We don't know yet if Mac Jones is going to start for the Patriots. They're coming off their bye week. There's a very good chance we see Bailey Zappi starting this game for the New England Patriots this upcoming week. Uh, so keep an eye on that because that could be another one to this list. Uh, you look at the AFC. Uh, you look at the AFC right now. Then you're going to have now Joe Burrow gets out of the list. He's out. Jake Browning takes over. Deshaun Watson in and out of the lineup. P.J. Walker, now it's DTR. There's been three different quarterbacks that have signed with the Cleveland Browns, and Joe Flacco has signed officially to the practice squad of the Cleveland Browns. 
be very curious to see if we see any of Joe Flacco this year uh, in 2022. 2022, he did have multiple games over 300 passing yards. So say what you will, maybe uh, maybe overthrow Joe. Still got a few more uh, th- few more deep DPIs left in that uh, in that shoulder, but. That's another two you can add, right? So as of right now, that brings up the three. The Colts, Anthony Richardson, he's out for the year. Uh, then we have the Titans, bench him after his injury. Now he got it to Will Levis, that's five. Uh, the Broncos, Chiefs, they're good. The Raiders, Aiden O'Connell, he comes in. Also had Brian Hoyer, right? So if we're just including the teams that have done it, not the individual players, that brings us up to six. If we're talking about individual players, that comes up to now eight players that were not starting quarterbacks uh, to start the season, who now are. That's just in the AFC, right? Cowboys, not a question. The Giants, that's two more. Tarod Taylor and Tommy DeVito. Eagles, no. Commanders, no. Then you look at the, the NFC North, add another one. Tyler Bajan or Tyson Bajan, right? That makes it 11 non-starting quarterbacks there. Uh, we go to the Minnesota Vikings. That's two more. Jaron Hall and now Josh Dobbs after Kirk Cousins goes out. That brings us to 13. Uh, the Atlanta Falcons, we have Taylor Heineke. Uh, the Carolina Panthers, we had, uh, I believe, Andy Dalton started a game for them early in the season, so that brings up to 15. New Orleans Saints, we're going to have James Winston start a game, so that brings us up to six. Uh, the Buccaneers have been uh, – or 16, rather. The Buccaneers have been healthy. Baker Mayfield started all their games. Uh, the Cardinals, originally we had Josh Dobbs. Then it was Clayton Toon, and now it's Kyler Murray. So that brings us up to 18. Out of uh, 18 so far, the Rams, we've had uh, one game played by a backup. The Niners and Seahawks have not. So in total, that is 19 quarterbacks so far this NFL season that were not opening day starters, but have started a game since the season has started. That is far and away the highest number we've ever seen in the NFL. And yet the NFL product has still been pretty good, right? I think there's an influx of young quarterbacks that are fun. Uh, as well as obviously our established guys. But quarterback play has gone down significantly across the NFL. And and a big part of that is like when you go back to like the Sam Darnold draft, when Sam Darnold and Baker and and Josh Allen and Lamar and Josh Rosen was the other one that was in that that draft class, at that point in time, every NFL team had a quarterback that was either a veteran, someone that was at least solid, or someone who was really, really good, or you had like a rookie, right? You had someone who was like, we're hoping this guy would be the future, but there weren't openings. Like there were 32 teams and like 31 of them had a quarterback that they were happy about and excited about moving forward. That's not the case anymore, right? We are looking at an NFL where there are a lot of potential openings. The quarterback play is as necessary as ever. And offensive numbers have been down across the board, across the entire NFL to this point. I'm not saying it's necessarily a bad thing for the product because, look, it's the NFL. At the end of the day, people are going to watch the NFL one way or another. Like It's not going to stop anybody from from tuning in on Sunday. But 19 different starting quarterbacks that weren't opening day. So you already had your opening day 32. 19 more have started games so far this season. And that number will go up too. Uh, to 20 when Tim Boyle makes his start and will go up to could go up to 21 if Mac Jones indeed does not start this upcoming week. And if we see Bailey Zappi, it's not inherently a bad thing because football is king. And ultimately, these kinds of things cycle through, right? You had your Rodgers and your Brady era, 
right? You had Peyton Manning and Big Ben, and you had these guys that were there for such a long time. And now we're finally kind of out of that cycle. Rodgers is kind of the last one, and then it'll be off to Stafford, I guess, would be the next oldest. It all goes through cycles, and that's okay. Like, ultimately, like, that's still – it's still fun to watch the NFL, even if it's not unbelievable quarterback play, especially when you still have guys like Jalen Hurts and guys like Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson and Tua and all these really, really fun quarterbacks that we really, really enjoy watching play the game. But it is worth noting that when we get to playoff time, that number of teams that we feel could win the Super Bowl, I went through this exercise last week, that number is going to start going down and feel like it's maybe not even going down as much as it's going to feel more defined, right? I had five teams on that list. I had five teams. The five teams, uh, I believe, were uh, Baltimore, Kansas City, Philly, San Francisco, and the Cowboys. Those are the five teams that I had that I think I could see. Uh, maybe it wasn't the Cowboys. We had somebody else mixed in there as well. Um, but those were – like the four or five teams, right? Cincinnati was one of those teams that to me was like, I can still see it. It's hard for them to do it after they lost to Houston last week, but I could still see it. Buffalo felt like they were falling apart. The way they looked on Sunday against the New York Jets gives me a little bit more hope that there is a possibility that we could see the Bills tear off a run here. But ultimately what it means is just we're going to see a clear picture probably earlier in the season than we anticipate. What the Cleveland Browns are doing right now is really impressive. Their defense is fucking awesome. Like we, we've been saying that all year. DTR is not leading them to a championship. I know Vito is going to be like the, you know, well, there's a chance, right? Like there is still a chance. They're still technically alive. They could technically win the Super Bowl. No question. There's a lot of teams that to this point are still technically alive. That so could technically win the Super Bowl. The Browns aren't winning Super Bowl with DTR or PJ Walker or, or Joe Flacco. And if they do, it'll be the most miraculous Super Bowl we've probably ever seen. Because, frankly, none of those guys are good enough to play to the same level that, like, an Eli Manning did, right? Or that even, like, a Trent Dilfer did. Because I don't think this Browns defense is as good as the Ravens defense from 2000. And if you do, we're going to have to have a conversation because it's just not true, right? This isn't the 85 Bears. It's a really, really, really good defense. It's, it's in my opinion, one of the wonder, number one or number two defenses in the NFL. DTR and, and the corpse of Joe Flacco are not going to be enough to get you there. And losing a guy like Joe Burrow this season, we can go around to all these teams that you're like, oh, but it feels like they can or whatever. Joe Burrow was one of those guys who you felt like he can put the Superman cape on and they could make a run to the Super Bowl. Josh Allen still feels like he can do that, especially after the way they looked on Sunday. Going into this week, we weren't really sure, but the up and down nature of their season makes you still kind of unsure. It's like, is Buffalo legit? They have the hardest remaining schedule left in the NFL. Are they going to be able to overcome it here moving forward? They have to play the Chiefs. They have to play the Eagles. They have a really, really hard finishing out schedule. They could. I still don't think it's likely. And then it brings you back to the five teams that we talked about before, right? Like Detroit, Jacksonville. These teams that are like really good record-wise that are right there, I, I, we still just haven't seen it. I want to see Detroit win a playoff game, right? I want to see, you know, Jacksonville come back and, and, and get their offense to continually look as consistent as it did last at this point in the year last season or even as it did against some worse competition earlier this year instead of this up-and-down roller coaster. So the way that they looked on Sunday is like that's a team that could make a run to the Super Bowl, especially with how wide open it feels right now. The problem is 
from a general fan's perspective, there's still really only four or five guys that are going to bring people in to watch football that aren't normal football guys. And those are the Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, Mahomes, Jalen Hurts. You know, you can throw Dak because it's the Cowboys, but I don't think people are tuning on the TV to watch Dak. They're turning on the TV to watch the Dallas Cowboys. You could say Lamar, right? Lamar is in that category as well. But outside of that, it's like football nerds are going to love the Lions. Football nerds are going to love the Jaguars and what they're doing. It just feels like there's a very clear cutoff between the really good teams, the teams that are going to be there at the end versus the teams at the bottom. And a lot of that has to do with this, you know, onslaught of injuries across the board. And I, I'm very curious to see what happens moving forward. I, I hate this for Joe Burrow. I hate this for the Cincinnati Bengals. I hate this for football fans across the board. Um, But it does feel like with the way the chargers looked and they're like, Oh, but all the talent and Justin Herbert, right. The dolphins struggling to beat the Raiders and losing after the third, uh, after the first quarter in that game, um, it just feels like more and more we're starting to see some of these teams slowly slip out, and it's going to be like San Francisco, Philly, Kansas City. And, and you know what? You can make the case back to me too, Jeff. Like, you know, Jeff, this is what it is, right? This is what we knew going into it. But the journey feels a little bit not less fun because every single week is still super fun to watch football. But I th- I'm hoping that the playoffs live up to the expectations that we have because we're going to be in a situation where it's like, all right, let's see – Let's see these guys come out and perform. And losing a guy like Joe Burrow at this point in the season is just another example of all of the injuries we've had throughout the NFL this season, how many quarterbacks have gone down. Um, and we're still going to have storylines. We're still going to love, love the sport moving forward, right? We're always going to. But it does feel like a little bit has kind of, a little air has gotten taken out of the balloon a little bit on this one because you lose a guy like Joe Burrow, you lose a star. And every single league is better when they have stars and in a year where it already felt like there's all these openings and the quarterback position feels about as as open-ended as it's ever felt it's just a real shame to lose a guy like Joe Burrow because I think Joe Burrow is legitimately good enough and was good enough to lead this team to a deep playoff run despite the fact that they got to that really really bad start and they went from five and three to now they're five and five and their season is done the Ravens they still look really really good um, Lamar continuing to play this highly efficient brand of football made a couple of big time throws. They lose Mark Andrews. There were some encouraging reports. Everyone thought he was going to be done for the year. Um, they did say John Harbaugh did say that there is an outside chance that we could see Mark Andrews again this season. There's more optimism about the injury than initially thought, which is good, but that's a big loss for Baltimore, right? To me, like losing Mark Andrews is like the Eagles losing AJ Brown. It's it's like the, the Chiefs losing, you know, Travis Kelsey. It's it's when you're one of those elite teams, your quarterback has somebody that they really just full blown trust to throw the ball to in big time moments. Um, and for them to lose that is is really really unfortunate. Their defense is still nasty. They can still run the ball, and you're starting to see some really really improved wide receiver play, especially from OBJ, Nelson Aguilar, and of course Zay Flowers has been awesome so far this season. But losing that tight end spot, I mean, that is the safety blanket. And I think what we're going to see moving forward with this Ravens team is they have to play some tougher games coming down the stretch is Lamar's going to have to put on the cape a little bit and play Superman. He's going to have to break off some really, really long runs. He's going to have to break off some really Lamar-like plays that only he can do because 
that safety blanket's gone. And teams are going to know that, and they're going to become a lot easier to defend, not having to worry about Mark Andrews uh, the way that they used to. So uh, I think that adds a really interesting wrinkle as to how the AFC playoffs are going to unfold. But for now, you got to give the Chiefs credit where it's due, because or the Ravens credit where it's due, because the Ravens look really, really good. All right, Brown Steelers. Uh, I kind of stepped on my own toes a little bit here with uh, with the Browns thing. Look, I know we have listeners here from Cleveland, right? I know Vito's, Vito's friends and coworkers, you guys all listen in. We love having the, the Cleveland Browns in there. And th- there's no shying away from the stuff that Scotty and I have said over the years about the Sean Watson situation. I, I'm sorry, Cleveland has had a bad taste in my mouth ever since that decision was made. And if you're just a general, like, overall gen- genuine person, like, I think you can understand why people have a hesitancy to root for the Cleveland Browns right now. However, I loved DTR in college. I loved him at UCLA. I loved this story. I loved watching him come in and drive the team down the field on the last possession to get them to a field goal to win the football game. That was awesome, man. And and Cleveland deserves to have nice things. I know Cleveland doesn't they, – they think everyone hates them. And everyone has, Look, we all hate Deshaun Watson. We don't necessarily hate Cleveland or Cleveland sports. I best One of my best friends in the world is a Cleveland Browns fan. The Deshaun Watson situation aside, it is really fun to watch what this Cleveland Browns team is doing this year because of the roller coaster that they've been on, right? Whether it was the early Deshaun Watson injury – leading into the devastating Nick Chubb injury, the defense who was just playing their fucking asses off week in and week out. I mean, the unbelievable game against the Ravens last week is one of the best football games of the season. It's been so fun to watch this up and down season. And the fact that they are seven and three right now, it's remarkable. It really, really is. So like shout out to Cleveland, shout out to that defense. I love Jim Schwartz. I love what they're doing with that defense. I love Miles Garrett. Zadarius Smith has been fucking awesome. One of my favorite players in the draft from a couple of years ago, Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa has been awesome this year. Grant Delpit has been really, really good. The outside between Denzel Ward and Greedy Williams, uh, 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 not Greedy Williams, uh, Greg Newsom. That's a really fun outside combination. There's a lot to like about this Browns defense i will stand pat on what i said you are not winning the super bowl with joe flacco or dtr or pj walker it's just not going to happen if they had shelled the money out to go get jacoby Brissett, that that's a different conversation right i, I do think jacoby Brissett is good enough to get you to 12 wins with this defense especially with his familiarity in that system i mean he was better than Deshaun Watson over the last two years, right? Last season plus now, the best quarterback that's played for the the Cleveland Browns has been Jacoby Brissett. Unfortunately, they didn't do that. They went with the rookie. They could have Josh Dobbs. He was on the roster, right? They went with the rookie. I understand that. It's cheaper. It gives you more upside. You hope, and you also hope that you're not going to be in a situation where Deshaun Watson goes out and you're going to have to find a way to replace him. This defense is great. And they could win a playoff game. They could win that wild card game, right? They're not going to be the one seed. Um, chances are they're going to end up being like the five seed, uh, at least in terms of every, the way everything's set up right now. I think if if the season ends today, they are the five seed. So, again, kudos to the the, the defense for, for Stefanski. I've always thought Stefanski is a good coach. I know that's a hot topic for people in Cleveland. I think he does a good job. I really, really do. And I still sit here and wonder if they had signed Baker to a cheaper long-term deal than, you know, which they could have, they could have signed Baker to a long-term deal. So he could have stayed there. 
I still think you're getting probably about the same amount of production with a quarterback who's, who's at least that would have been to this point a lot more comfortable in that system. Instead, they decided to scrap everything, which I get. You get rid of OBJ, you get rid of Baker, you kind of clean hands of that whole little mini era in Cleveland, despite the fact that you did win a playoff game in that era. You wipe your hands of it because of how messy it got, and you move on to a different era of Cleveland Browns football. Unfortunately, that starts with Deshaun Watson. That brings a whole lot of bad press. A lot of people don't like it. And now it's like all they've slowly been doing is hitting on draft picks, right? They've they've drilled every single draft pick. They've done a really, really good job of acquiring talent. The Amari Cooper trade is still one of the biggest heists that we've seen in the NFL over the last couple of years. David Njoku went from not being able to catch a football to now being like a legitimate high caliber starting tight end. The offensive line, even without Joe Conklin, is still really good. The fact that they're able to run the ball as well with Jerome Ford and Kareem Hunt with a, a banged up offensive line with a tackle who switched sides to the different side of the offensive line, which is objectively really, really fucking hard to do. I mean, they've done so many things to get to where they are now, and they deserve credit. Uh, the Steelers are continuing to be the same fucking Steelers that they've been, right? Uh, it, it's it's unbelievably frustrating. I don't think Kenny Pickett is this bad. I, I really don't. I don't think he's particularly good, but my God, Matt Canada is so bad. The play designing is awful, and it's basically turned into like Jalen Warren is the entire offensive system here. It's so bad, and Mike Tomlin has to know this. I know he's a loyal guy. I know he's like – committed to the guys that he has around him but like you at some point you have to move on you have to get rid of this guy he is sinking an opportunity here with a good defense who despite being as banged up as they were still played outrageously well and the Steelers defense is really banged up but you have TJ Watt in his prime you have Minka Fitzpatrick in his prime I know he didn't play on on Sunday you have a young draft pick in Joey Porter Jr. who looks like he's going to be really, really good for a long time. You have a solid nucleus of defensive talent, but you also have guys like Cam Hayward at the end of their career where it's like, how, how many more seasons are we going to get of high high production Cam Hayward? Probably not many. And you have a good defense despite all the injuries, and you are absolutely wasting it all because you have fucking Matt Canada. Like, Matt Canada is almost single-handedly the reason why this – Pittsburgh Steelers offense is as putrid as it is because this team knows how to win football games because Mike Tomlin knows what to do. He's a great head coach. But if you actually had a, a, a non-moronic, not, not a complete numbskull of an offensive coordinator in Matt Canada, who was terrible in college and has been terrible everywhere he's coached, he has failed upwards in a way that I've you very, very seldom see in the NFL or in football in general. It is criminal what they have done. And if it wasn't for Jalen Warren, uh, and and George Pickens catching some some random deep balls. It's unbelievable that the Steelers still find a way to be six and four and still very much in the playoff hunt. But my God, if they just had someone with who was just fifty percent better than Matt Canada, who just at least had a little bit of creative juices and wasn't such a fucking hard ass, you know, uh, digging his fucking feet in the ground, stubborn jackass of a coach. If you could have anybody else other than that guy, this offense by default would have to look better. Um, And instead this defense and and this unbelievable coaching job that we're seeing out of Mike Tomlin feels like it's starting to go down the tubes. And it's, it's just each week you expect it to get a little bit better and it's just gotten, it feels like worse almost like the stagnant nature of it's just the same thing. It's so predictable. You can sit on your couch and so rarely do people on their couch be able to call correctly what's going to happen there's always things you don't know that, like, oh, this guy missed this block or this person ran the wrong route or this or that. 
people like in Pittsburgh can actually look on their couch and be like, I know exactly what they're going to do here. I know exactly what they were trying to do here because it is such elementary middle school football shit. You could go to the high school level and find a hundred offensive coordinators that are 10 times as creative as Matt Canada. Instead, Matt Canada insists on banging his head up against a brick wall and hoping something is going to change. The Browns moved to seven and three, the Steelers six and four. They're both still in the mix, um, but neither one of those teams is winning a Super Bowl. Bears Lions Lions improved to eight and two. Unreal finish to this game. Uh, shout out talking about well coached teams. Dan Campbell has this team humming. Uh, they looked terrible in that first quarter. Defensively, there are a lot of problems on this team. Uh, and, and look, shout out to Justin Fields who came in and played that backyard football style that works. They're, they're finally starting to be like, you know what? We just have to let Josh, Justin Fields be Justin Fields. Luckily for the Bears, they have the number one overall pick as of right now with the uh, the Carolina Panthers, who also have a one, I think, one and a half, maybe two game lead on that. Uh, I know the Cardinals lost, but I think there's a weird tiebreaker thing where even if they ended up with the same amount of wins as of right now, I do believe the Panthers would hope would be the first overall pick, which would go to the Chicago Bears. Um, the defense for Detroit has some problems. And, you know, I there's a buddy of mine I used to work with who is a, is a Lions fan. And he was getting so frustrated with Aiden Hutchinson because it's like every play I see Aiden Hutchinson, it looks like he's doing something, but he's not actually doing anything. And I don't necessarily agree with that. I think he does generate a lot of pressures. I think if you look at his uh, his pressure rate and some of the, the, the advanced numbers, they will tell you he is still a really, really good player, consistently good player. Um, but there are holes, right? And this is a young defense, right? They're getting big-time snaps out of a second-year linebacker in Malcolm Rodriguez and a rookie linebacker in Jack Campbell. Uh, and obviously, uh, in, in Zula or Enzulai, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, uh, but the Thor-looking guy, the big white dude with the long blonde hair, uh, he's been really, really good. The defensive line's been okay. The secondary has some problems. Brian Branch has been great as a rookie, but again, you're dependent on a lot of rookies. The offensive side of the ball, you're – Relying on rookies as well, Jameer Gibbs, Jameson Williams, by all intents and purposes, is also a rookie still, uh, and obviously Sam Laporta. But those guys are, are being really, really productive, and they're breaking off big-time plays and, and, and being very important. Monroe St. Brown has totally cemented himself as one of the top 10 wide receivers in football. I will argue that with anybody. I, I legitimately think his route running, his big playability, he is so unbelievably consistent. He, he reminds me a little bit of – Keenan Allen in the way he just always kind of gets open, but I think he's Keenan Allen, but with a better knack of getting into the end zone. Uh, I, I'm a huge, huge fan of Amonra St. Brown. So I, I think right away you look at this offense and you see the explosive nature, you see the upside of what it can be. Um, the defense just needs to play good enough because 26 points to the Chicago Bears offense is, is just too many. And again, I know it's the first time, you know, Justin Fields comes back and that's a lot more difficult than going up against Tyson Bajan. But even when Justin Fields was in, like Justin Fields shouldn't look this good. He shouldn't look this good for a guy making his first start in, in over a month, right? In five or six weeks. And yet he comes out and, and again, it wasn't lighting the world on fire. It's not like he came out and was the best player you've ever seen in your life, but 16 to 23 for 169 with a touchdown, you add a hundred yards on the ground. That is a, that's a, too much. That is too much to give up to Justin Fields in his first game back. DJ Moore, seven catches, 96 yards and a touchdown. The one thing that will sink this Detroit team? Well, there's two things. The first one, and I think the most important one, is the defense. The defense has to be better. It has to – I know they're opportunistic in terms of they make big plays in the moments, right, and it gets them back into games. But to me, the bigger issue with with Detroit's defense is 
you're going to go up against really, really, really good offenses in the postseason, right? Even if it's going up against a team like Seattle, which they might have to play in the postseason. Um, if you have to play Seattle in the first round or Dallas in the first round of the playoffs, that's putting you in a really, really tough spot for this team because they are not equipped to handle that. We saw what happened when the when the Lions played Seattle, right? The last three years, it's been the same. It was the same thing this year, really, really high-scoring game. You might be able to get into a shootout with some of these teams, but if, as good as the Lions' offensive line is, it's going to get a lot harder if you have to play a team like Dallas, who has that unbelievable front number one pass rush team in the NFL right now, the Dallas Cowboys. Now, granted, they also have had the easiest schedule in the NFL, which Cowboys fans would tell you otherwise. But the numbers bear out. The Cowboys have one of the easiest schedules in the NFL up until this point. That being said, you can still get into a shootout with them. I just don't know if I want to do that. That's so dependent on luck, right? You need your defense to step up. You need guys like Aiden Hutchinson to get home. You need him to disrupt plays, not just be around plays. And that's kind of what my buddy Robbie was saying on, on, on Twitter, right? He was saying he's there, but I'm not seeing it affect plays. And look, in the biggest moments, he has come up. He's had pick sixes. He's he's forced fumbles. He's gotten big-time sacks in big moments. We saw them with the way that they iced out that game against the Bears, getting the safety out of the back of the end zone, which if – I was really hoping the Lions would get that to cover. They did not. Um, but if they had, right, that, that's an opportunity for saying, hey, either way, that's still a big-time play out of Aiden Hutchinson. That's the kind of game-winning plays that you need. But it does feel like Detroit is kind of playing a little, flying a little close to the sun. All right, well, we'll put it that way, right? They are playing really good football, and they are, as a whole, they know how to win football games, which is really impressive for a young team. It says a lot about that coaching staff and Ben Johnson and Dan Campbell and everything they've done to get this team prepared. But the other thing that you have to be worried about, which is something that they were actually able to overcome in this game, is the, the what now feels fluky, but historically what is something that happens with, with this team and this quarterback is Jared Goff. Jared Goff is going to have a weird game. He's going to have a weird game once every four or five weeks, right? And this one, he threw three interceptions. He was off. It didn't feel like it was there. To his credit, he got it back in the fourth quarter when they needed him most, and he played really, really well down the stretch. But if you're playing San Francisco, if you're playing Philly, if you're playing Seattle or Dallas, uh, you know, if you're playing one of these teams in the postseason, hell, it might even be Minnesota. You might end up playing a, a, a division rival. When you're playing one of these teams in the postseasons that we're now to the playoffs, we're talking about the best teams in the NFL. You can't have a Jared Goff three interception game. You can't afford that. So all the kudos in the world for the Detroit Lions. They deserve it. They've been awesome. Uh, they are flirting with being in that category of a team that I could see winning the Super Bowl. I think they're still just on the outside because of the inexperience, because of how young they are, really important positions on that defense, uh, because the defense as a whole just doesn't quite seem to be there yet. But they could hit their stride, right? Thanksgiving is always that benchmark for, for Belichick. And if they know what they are now, then they can make adjustments going into the rest of the season. Either way, the Lions are going to be flirting with the one seed, uh, which would be really, really big for them. This game tonight is going to be really important. Obviously, the stretch the Eagles have moving forward here is going to be really important. But if the Eagles drop a game, then all of a sudden you're like, oop, the Lions in the one seed with a much easier remaining schedule could very easily end up the one seed in the NFC. If that happens, then obviously we're talking about an entirely different ball game here. But I do think the Lions, as of right now, are a really damn good football team, and they they deserve respect. Um, albeit there are some question marks still, uh, but they're fucking good. They're just they're a good fucking football team. Uh, that first and foremost. The other stuff, you know, we'll leave that there. We'll wait till playoffs to really nitpick it too much. 
But there are some question marks, no question. Uh, all right, up next, Packers, Chargers. The Chargers are a dumpster fire, man. Brandon Staley's getting defensive with uh, with reporters after the game, questioning his defensive play calling, and, and uh, he's not going to answer that question again, all that stuff. That is like kiss of death territory, man. That final nail is just floating right above the coffin with the hammer ready to pounce, man. That's kind of where we're at with this Chargers team. Um, Brandon Staley will no longer be the head coach of the Los Angeles Chargers moving forward. There's There's just no question about that. At this point, it's how much of the season can you uh, – how much of – at this point in the season, how much can you really um, gain from still having Brandon Staley as your head coach, right? Like, I, I know I've gone back and forth with the boys the last couple of weeks about the Bill Belichick thing, and their point is, oh, what are you actually – what are you actually getting out of it? Is there anything that's really that – you're that's really worth you getting out of it? I don't know. Sometimes it's just – if everyone hates this guy and everyone's just sick of Brandon Staley and it's the team's bad or whatever, sometimes just, you know, he's not going to be the future, get him out, start the head coaching search and, you know, elevate Kellen Moore to be your interim head coach. See if you can rattle off some wins. You're probably not making the postseason unless you go on a crazy run here, but they still have to play Kansas city. They still have to play the Raiders who now look pretty good. They have to play the Broncos who now look pretty good. They still have some tough games left on their schedule. And frankly, this defense is terrible. Uh, Justin Herbert, like, I'm not even going to fault him entirely in this game. He made a couple of mistakes, but this loss wasn't on him. I mean, the, the drop by Quentin Johnson was just uh, atrocious. Like, you just can't do that in that moment. Um, th- there was a couple of big-time mistakes on the offensive part, and a lot of it is not Justin Herbert's fault. So, I know earlier in the season, like, yeah, like, I was getting on Justin Herbert. He deserves to get on every once in a while. Like, it's okay to get on Justin Herbert if you're not playing great. What I see primarily from this team what I see primarily from this is that it, it's an overall bad culture in this organization as we sit here right now. I hope to see that it gets better. I hope that we see the Chargers look better. I don't think that's going to happen, and I don't think Brandon Staley is long. Um, for the Packers, this is a big win for Matt LaFleur, right? Uh, they didn't look awesome in this game, and obviously Aaron Jones goes out with the injury, and that sucks. But Jordan Love is – starting to look better right he started off really impressive but when you looked at the advanced numbers you're like um yeah but it was really only like one or two like big throws per quarter that was kind of getting them there and sometimes that's all you need but it wasn't consistent and then they have an early bye week and then they just nosedive right now we're seeing the packers and win a couple in a row they're starting to play a little bit better team football i still think they're on the outside looking in in terms of a playoff spot I just don't see them making the postseason this year. I don't think anybody really does. But I, I will say, I think you've you've seen enough in the fact that they signed Jordan Love to that one-year extension uh, where he will be – they will still have him uh, next year on a, on a very cheap deal. Uh, I think you at least have to roll the dice because they have so much cap space and they have so much young talent. Four and six for a team that's as young and inexperienced as this team is actually kind of impressive, especially with the inconsistent play at quarterback. Um I think Matt LaFleur is doing a good job, and I still feel like come the end of the season, we're going to look at the Packers, and they're going to be somewhere near 500, probably more like 7 and 10 than 9 and 8. Um, but I, I think I see them kind of finishing in that spot, which honestly, if you told me that coming into the, you know, the season, I'd be like, yeah, that's kind of, I think that's about what I had them predicted at. So, uh, yeah, Packers, they get a win. The Chargers, woof, they're in some trouble. All right, up next, Raiders, Dolphins. Small victory lap here. I'm just continued to be impressed with the the way the Raiders are playing. And frankly, with a rookie quarterback and Aiden O'Connell, who no one really expected to be that good, but he's, he's played 
uh, a lot better than I think we expected him to. Uh, this defense has some serious bite to them, man. And and my small victory lap comes in the sense of you saw Max Crosby and you saw the rest of that Raiders defensive line disrupt the Dolphins. And this is going to be the problem for the Dolphins moving forward because if they have to play Baltimore, if they have to play Kansas City again, uh, even if the, if the, even Buffalo, right, if they have to play one of those teams in the postseason – they're going to have a lot of trouble handling the defensive fronts for a lot of teams. Their weakest point is the offensive line. And it's not that it's a bad offensive line. It's more that their offense is so specific and dependent on timing and crispness and, and, and pre-snap motion, all this stuff that that proverbial pedal that gets into the engine of the Lamborghini, right. That fucks up the whole thing. That's kind of what we're seeing here with the dolphins that like when it's working, it's, it's, it feels like it's impossible to stop. They'll literally score 70 points in a football game. But when it's not, and when you see a little bit of a hiccup here and there, that's when we start to talk about a whole different level of like, all right, we, we see Tyreek Hill. We see Jalen Waddle. We see Tua playing pretty, pretty well as a whole. There are flaws to this team. And the defense seems like it's coming around. Jalen Ramsey had another big-time play. He's obviously been doing it for a long time. Uh, I think what he had one, at least one interception in this game. Um, but uh, yeah, oh, no, he sorry, he had two uh, two interceptions, and then Jalen Phillips had another interception there as well. So uh, what we're seeing here is a Miami team that like look when they can get the ball off and they can get the ball into Tyree Kill's hands, they can be good. And all the credit in the world goes to the Raiders. I know they've played a lot better. I still don't think the Raiders are like in like in a playoff caliber tier, but they're playing really really good football and. Look, Aiden, Aiden O'Connell throwing the ball 41 times is probably not going to be the recipe for success. But this was a 13-and-a-half-point spread, and the Raiders covered comfortably. Uh, and more importantly, it felt like the Raiders were in this game the entire time. Uh, they continue to go blow for blow. Credit to Miami. Their defense in the second half of this game was really, really dominant. Uh, the turnovers, generating pressure, that's kind of the, what they need. Um, you know, Bradley Chubb got going there in the second half. Jalen Phillips has turned into a really, really good pass rusher, dude whose career was almost over with back injuries. He goes, plays his last year at Miami, then goes to the Dolphins. He's coming to his own. They have the pieces, right? The question is, is, is this offense going to be sustainable when they get into the playoffs, when it gets cold, when it's going to be all about winning in the trenches? And I don't think that they can. I think they'll be in that mix. I think they'll even be a game where maybe they play a, you know, a Kansas City or a, a Baltimore, and, they, and they, it's a back-and-forth battle because of the explosiveness of this offense, um, because of Solomon Ahmed, right? Because uh, – and I know A-Chain came back in this game. He ends up leaving again. His status is going to be uncertain moving forward. But that's kind of where we're talking about here with this team where you're like, all right, I like there's, there's a lot to like when it comes to uh, this Miami attack. But one thing gets thrown off, right? A-chain could be the difference between them being the best offense in the NFL or the fifth best offense in the NFL, right? The ability for them to run the ball consistently, his speed, explosiveness, getting him the ball in space. It, it is McCaffrey-esque, right? Because he he is such a game changer with the ball in his hands. He is still, as of right now, leading the NFL in 40-yard runs. He's the only one. I think he has five on the season. No one else has come close to him. He, he played in his first game in six weeks, right? He is as explosive as anybody in the NFL. So having him in this lineup, I think, makes a massive difference in terms of what you have to respect in that running game. Without him, the running game is, is defendable, right? We saw Kansas City do it. We saw the Eagles do it. We saw Buffalo do it, right? 
we need to see the, 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 the Dolphins find a way to run the ball consistently while still making sure that they have all of that explosive playability with Waddle and, of course, with Tyreek Hill. Uh, but shout out to the Raiders. Covered my, my, my 13 and a half point pick. I thought there's no way I'm going with anyone. My hunch is correct here, and it, it worked out for me. So shout out to the Raiders. And, and Antonio Pierce, he's your answer. Sign him for the contract now, Mark Davis. You don't have to, you don't have to interview anybody. Elevate him, make him your full-time head coach now. And, and they can start thinking down the line as opposed to this interim stuff. He is a damn good football coach. Giants Commanders. This game's stupid and gross. I don't know why on earth I picked the Commanders minus nine and a half. That was so fucking stupid. I don't understand what it is about the Commanders. They play against the Eagles and they look like, you know, Sam Howell looks like prime Peyton Manning and they look like the greatest show on turf and it's just quick throws and bang, bang, and they get all this unbelievable movement. And then they go up against any, you know the, the Giants in their two games against the Giants. They lose them both, and they just look god-awful. Um, the Commanders gave the ball away six times in this game. It's hard to give the ball away six times in a football game. It is really, really hard. And, you know, before that final pick six, I still kind of had hope that, you know, maybe we'll see Sam Howell find a way to get it in there. He didn't. You know, he made bad throws all day. The, the reluctance to to continue with the running game is un, is insane to me because Brian Robinson's been really good, and I know Antonio Gibson was out, so it's basically all B-Rob, and that's all you have. But with the weapons you have, Jahan Dotson, Terry McLaurin, Logan Thomas has been fully healthy this season, which is rare. It all comes down to that offensive line. I mean, and I've been saying it all year with this commander's team. I'm a believer in Sam Howe. Give him a fucking offensive line, please. If you give this kid an offensive line, I'm telling you, he will be good. He's already been really solid as a starter with the worst offensive line in football. Give him a, a half-decent offensive line, and we're talking about a, a, a quarterback that I think can be a legitimate like pro bowler, like a legitimately good throw for 4,000 yards a year kind of quarterback because he's got the arm talent. He's got that like – it's that quick twitch throw where there's a small window and he just rips it in there. And I've, I've seen him do it in person. His arm talent, you know, jumps off the field. You know, I watched him and Jalen hurts play against each other in person and, and Jalen's accuracy and touch and, and stuff is, is unbelievable. Sam Al has the better arm in terms of just like pure horsepower and, and, and his ability to just rip throws into tight windows. Um, Jalen's a much better quarterback. I don't think there's any debate about that, but in terms of just pure arm talent, like I, I Sam Halleck can make every single throw possible uh, because he has a legit howitzer on his fucking arm. They need to get the offensive line thing figured out. And I was talking with some commanders fans yesterday. We were out watching some of the games and um, you know, they were talking to me about their frustration about how has Ron Rivera not been fired yet. And ultimately it's, it's very simple. Ron Rivera is Tums. He's Tums, right? I said the same thing about the election in 2020. Um, when you have all this chaos, as much as you have, right, in, in the politics world in the U.S., it was the Trump presidency, whether you liked him or didn't, caused a lot of chaos. It caused a lot of uncertainty. It caused a lot of, like, stress, right? And nobody liked Biden, like, right? Like, no one really was, like, gung-ho about, about Biden. But what he does do is he comes in and he just settles everything, right? We, 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 we don't have to track the news every single day for all the craziness and all, all the stuff there, right? It's just, he's fine. He's tums. He settles the stomach, right? That's what Ron Rivera is. You have all of this, all, you have all this Dan Snyder bullshit, right? You have all of this craziness. You have all of this, you know, the, the congressional uh, uh, 
the congressional investigation and and all the the sexual misconduct investigation and the selling the team and all this craziness. Now you got a new owner in there and everyone's excited and it's just a lot. It's a lot. You weren't going to win with your first year with a new owner. It just, it doesn't really happen in sports. It's really, really hard. Um, but having a new owner is really, really important. And to this point, there's only so much that Josh Harris has been able to do in terms of getting his fingerprints on the organization to really make it like start the change of culture Ron Rivera at least gives you stability. He knows what to do. He, he knows, hey, this is how we run practice. This is how we do this. This is how we do this. We have a schedule. It's going to be set. People are going to be on time. We're going to be there. We're going to put a football team out there. We're going to win some games. We're going to lose a bunch of games, and it's going to be somewhere in between. We're going to finish about 500. That's kind of where this commander's team is, right? Uh, four of their seven losses have come from NFC East teams alone, two against the Eagles, two against the Giants. Everyone else, they've played really, really competitive football, and they should have beaten the Seahawks last week. They're, they're a good football team when everything is clicking. There's no question Ron Rivera is a huge part of the problem as to why this team isn't winning more football games. But you kind of need that as an organization when we're talking about essentially the CEO, the face of a multi-billion dollar organization, an organization that just got sold for, what was it, six $6 billion dollars? Like you want a guy who knows how to be in charge. And at the end of the day, that's what Ron Rivera is. And in the future, it probably will be Eric the enemy moving forward, or they will find a new head coach moving forward. But in the short term for this season, the timing of when that deal went through, where it was like the season started and it was like, Josh Harris has the team, right? Like they signed all the paperwork. It's official, right? Are we sure? Are we sure that's what it is? Uh, once we got to that point where it's like, okay, now we're sure the season had started. So, this season was always kind of going to be a loss and, and commanders fans don't want to hear that. I understand it. Ron Rivera is Tums. He's settling you through this season. Like it or not, the NFL is a business, the business, the corporate side of this, the money that's involved in this outweighs the performance on the football field. It always, always has, it always will. And that is the sad truth. when we're talking about like a multi, when something that people care about as passionately as we do, you know, in the world of sports. For now, you're going to win some games. You're going to lose games inexplicably like this game. It sucks. Um, thank you, at least, because it means that the Giants won't be picking towards the top, and hopefully that means that there won't be any Caleb Williams in my life and there won't be any uh, Drake May in my life. Uh, and who knows, whoever they get, you know, if they decide to draft a quarterback or if they go another position, will probably end up being a, a future Hall of Famer. Who knows? But in the short term, thank you for at least helping the Giants get worse uh, draft stock. Um, but yeah, it's, it's commanders fans take a deep breath. I know it's frustrating. I know it sucks. We've all been there with our teams at one point or another, but Josh Harris is a good owner and the, the future is still bright. Think about where you were this time last year with the Dan Snyder stuff and everything. You'd say, I would do anything. I, I would, wouldn't win a Super Bowl. wouldn't make the plaster 10 years of a means that, you know, Dan Snyder's not the, the owner of the team anymore. Dan Snyder's not the owner. You're already making improvements this year. You just need that little, hey, let's just settle it right there. That's all you need. All right, up next, Cowboys, Panthers. Um, the Panthers stink. We know that. The Cowboys beat up on bad teams. That's all it is. That's all it is. Moving on. Titans-Jags, really impressed with this game. Um, the Jags needed a game like this. They needed a game where Trevor Lawrence and the offense just fucking exploded, and it finally came in. It came against a divisional team. Now, look, the Titans – 
they're not in a great spot. They have a rookie quarterback. The offensive line is horrible. The defensive line, I mean, it's basically the defense is Jeffrey Simmons, and that's about it, right? There's not a whole lot to like with this Titans team. The Titans, even Mike Vrabel can't elevate a Titans team higher than a certain level, and, and that's kind of where we're at here. But it's important that the Jags, because it is the NFL, and any given Sunday, weird shit can happen. When you have a game against an inferior opponent, beat them into the ground. Show up, beat their ass, beat them into the ground, call it a day. And that's exactly what they did. Trevor Lawrence looked awesome. He was the best quarterback in all of the NFL on Sunday. He was spectacular. Um, I I was really, really impressed with what we saw out of – Trevor Lawrence in this game. And, uh, and I think a lot of people should too. Uh, he was, according to PFF, at least he was ranked as the fifth best quarterback in the NFL behind Herbert. Amazingly enough, uh, Dak, CJ Stroud and Brock Purdy, uh, all those games, you know, uh, say what you will, but Trevor Lawrence, like they needed this, they needed this kind of a game. He looked really good across the board. Calvin Ridley having a big time game. He needed a big game himself. Uh, Etienne still being able to run the football and just, the Jaguars are a good team. Like I said, I was saying it all last week when Vito was getting pissed at me. Like, the Jags are a good team. They're a very good team. I picked them to cover the spread in this game because I know that they're a good team. I just want to see the offense click. And it felt like on Sunday we finally saw the offense click. Now do it again, right? Because ultimately the NFL is always, what have you done for me lately? They looked awesome on Sunday. Before I'm going to consider them to that top tier of teams, I want to see him do it again because I think the defense is good enough. Like the defense to me is not as much of a concern as the Lions defense, but the offense for the Jags has definitely been more of a concern compared to the Lions. So I want to see this Jags offense click. If this was the game that it flips the switch in everyone's head and they go like, Oh fuck. Yes, we can do this. I want to see them do that moving forward. It was a great sign to see them bounce back after getting their asses beat by the Niners. Let's see how they do the rest of the season, but very, very, Impressive win from the Jacksonville Jaguars. Cardinals, Texans. Texans win this one 21 to 16. CJ Stroud, unbelievable. I mean, the first half might have been the best half of football he's played all season. The second half was the worst half of football he's played this season. And yet he still came up with the biggest throws and the biggest moments when they needed it. Um, it was nice to see, like, hey, you know what? If this is your rookie game, Right where it's like, hey, I'm going to throw three interceptions and I'm going to miss some stuff and I'm not going to play my best half of football in the second half, that you still not only win, but then you cover the spread too. Like uh, The Texans seem to have found something. Now, again, they're a young football team. C.J. Stroud has been fantastic. He's going to continue to be fantastic. He had 250-something yards in the first half. He was unbelievable. I want to see him move like, – again, Like I, I – there's only so much you can say, because if I was having this conversation with Vito, I know he'd be like, well, you know, they can win. What do you mean they can't win? They're in plus. They're six and four. It would be unprecedented. So it's not that they can't. It's just I don't see it happening personally. They're a young team and making the postseason with a rookie head coach and a rookie quarterback and a team as young as this Texans team is would be a monumental achievement and would speak volumes to the type of season that CJ Stroud is having. And, and again, the only time we've really seen something similar to this, and there's going to be people who say this might be hyperbole, it's the best rookie season we've seen since Andrew Luck. Like when Andrew Luck came in and it was like, this, this Colts team is not great around him, but yet he's still elevating them to being the point of they're going to be a playoff team. Like that's what we're seeing from CJ Stroud. I know RG3 won rookie of the year that year and everything else. Great. Congrats to RG3. Could not give a shit about RG3. He bothers me to no end. But you saw it like when when you watched Andrew Luck as a rookie, 
step into the NFL and it just clicked and you're like, holy shit, this guy's awesome. It's the same feeling I'm getting with CJ Stroud. And it's very, very rare. But it's how I feel. It's what I see watching this Texans team. And D'Amico Ryans is such a slam dunk of a head coach. Oh, my goodness. He is leaps and bounds better than even I thought he could be going into this season. Um, I'm super, super impressed with what we've seen from uh, C.J. Stroud, and everyone should be. And I love the MVP uh, chance, and I love everything about it, and it's one of my favorite teams to watch this year, and I can't wait to continue to watch them down the line uh, and moving forward for the rest of the season and for, for years to come because if, if they get C.J. Stroud and how good he's been as a rookie and everything else – uh, and this is the the byproduct of what they had to go through with Deshaun Watson and everything that went from from that whole situation. Then, my God, I I think almost with with knowing everything with Deshaun Watson and being like, well, we could have this guy who's awesome back if we just spin the PR, or we bite the bullet here. And they were like, nope, we don't want him. We want him out. He's a, he's a dick. We hate this guy. Get him out. You'll take this trade off ten times out of ten. And the ownership and the front office and Casario and, and Jack Easterby and all these guys in, in Houston have had plenty of shit thrown their way. Uh, deservedly so, because they, there are some questionable paths there when it comes to like Jack Easterby and um, the ownership group for the Houston Texans not having the most sterling reputation as just people. Um, but my goodness, man, I, they are they are so fun to watch and they are they're just so, so good. And they did the right thing getting rid of Sean Watson, despite all of the past stuff with those guys. They did the right thing. They move on from Deshaun and they get rewarded. Now it's still fucked up that um, David color and was it David color. That actually might've been someone with the high school, uh, David Cully. Sorry. I went to college with a guy named uh, David color, uh, but with Cully and then Lovey Smith, the last two seasons, not great. Don't love that. Um, but you hit the you hit the ball out of the park with uh, with my man D'Amico Ryan's. He is he is fun to watch. So shout out to the the Houston Texans and Kyler up and down. That deep ball he threw in the opening possession to uh, Rondell Moore was fucking incredible. When he lets it fly, man, on those deep balls and the rainbow shots, they are fun to watch. My God, uh, the rest of the stuff, eh, not as good, not quite as good. Uh, Will Anderson also coming around. Just I. 51, man. Just keep your eyes on 51 during the Houston Texans games. He has become uh, a really, really fun player. Two tackles for a, for a loss in addition to a sack. Uh, there's a reason he got drafted where he did. All right. And and I know we've gone over the uh, the timeline there. That never quite made sense to me, but he he deserves it. He deserves all the uh, all the credit. All right. Got just four more games left, and we'll get you guys on the way. Bucks, 49ers. Wish Scotty was here. To, uh, to fill us in on everything with them. But um, look, Brock Purdy played perfect. Perfect day. The touchdown pass, he had uh, multiple touchdown passes, but the one he had to um, George Kittle was was just a stupid fucking throw. I mean, it was it was unbelievable. It, it, it was unbelievable. It, it really was. Uh, Brandon Ayuk, so fucking good. Seeing the full team in the lineup, right, um, with Ayuk, Kittle, Debo, McCaffrey, and then even Juwan Jennings is like your fifth pass catching option. Um, yeah, dude, they're just they're just filthy. They're just they're 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 scary. Um, big loss though in the secondary. Ofanga 
Uh, he leaves this game. He is done for the year. Um, hate to see that. Uh, he's been one of my favorite players to watch. And look, he is he is reminiscent of Troy Polamalu. And I think part of that's just, you know, the hair, um, which, you know, is is part of it. Um, but torn ACL, he's out for the year. He's so fun to watch, man. And that's a big blow for them. You know, uh, the, the depth at their defensive line is is obviously very apparent. Um, and you don't have to worry when you have Dre Greenlaw and Fred Warner there because those two guys are monstrous. Uh, Traverius Ward is uh, – Charverius Ward, I should say, uh, has been really, really good in that secondary. And then just across that you know defensive line, Hargrave, uh, Eric Armstead, Bosa, Chase Young. He gets in the mix here with a sack of his own in this game. Uh, and then you're just rotating guys in. You have, you know, Javon uh, Kinlaw. You have Clellan Farrell, who, you know, was a first-round pick. He was drafted fourth overall, which he shouldn't have been drafted at a high, but he had talent. And even if he never fully, you know, lived up to the expectation of a guy who was drafted in the first round, he's still a pretty damn good football player. And just to add depth, Right. If he's your last guy you bring in a rotation to give somebody a blow, then you're doing a lot better than a lot of other teams in the, uh, in the uh, NFL right now. So um, the Niners are a fucking problem, man. They're they're a problem. And of course, you know, they're they're a couple injuries away that could always that could always creep up. Um, but man, they when they're rolling, it's just it's hard to imagine any team that can stop them. Baltimore, Philly, Dallas, Kansas City, anybody. Uh, that offense is so, so good. That defense is so, so good. Um, as long as they stay healthy, I, I think they should be the favorites to win the Super Bowl because they are, they are that fucking good, man. They, it's, I feel like we say the same thing when they're all, when they're all healthy and you're like, oh my God. But when Purdy starts dropping fuck you throws like the one he threw to Kittle, um, yeah, you're, you're just fucked at that point, man. <laughs> That's, you're just searching for something. Uh, you know, as, as an Eagles fan, at least to, to, to give myself some level of optimism, because um, that Niners team is just they're scary, dude. They're they're fucking scary. And and Purdy's getting more and more confident with every single game he plays. And uh, yeah, man, they're good. They're great football team. All right. Up next, Bills, Jets. The Bills get back on track. The Jets, Zach Wilson, he's done. Tim Boyle, uh, they also signed Trevor Simeon now. Zach Wilson has been moved to the third quarterback. I, I do feel bad for Zach Wilson, man. It's tough. It's very tough, right? It's It do comes in with the amount of expectations he has. He was a little shithead, don't get me wrong, like his first couple seasons. like He, he did not do a lot of favors for himself. But it's just been such a struggle. And I think people have wanted to root for the Jets simply because of how disappointed I think football fans were, but especially Jets fans, obviously, at the, the opening night when when uh, Aaron Rodgers tears the Achilles. And, you know, this defense has just been so fun and so good that you just want to see somebody in there who can be somewhat competitive. Uh, I mean, it, it, this is really going to become like I, – I think it should be like what we call the, the Jacoby Brissett rule, you know, in, in Cleveland and in New York. And I know I said this a little bit last week, but – when you are one of those teams that you're like, all right, our side of the ball we think is going to be a top five unit in, in football, whether it's offense or defense, invest in a backup quarterback. Just invest in a good backup quarterback. Spend the extra $500,000 in the contract, whatever it is, to bring in a Gardner Minshew or to bring in a Jacoby Brissett. Because if Gardner Minshew is playing for the Jets, I think they have 10 wins. 
if if Gardner Minshew or, or Jacoby Brissett or one of those guys is playing for for the Browns, I think they even have another win or two, right? And I think I would actually consider them to be a potential Super Bowl team um, because the defenses are that good. But you have to know going into the season, like, hey, we think our defense is going to be real. Like the Jets knew their defense was going to be really, really good. The Browns didn't know as well as the Jets, but had a pretty damn good feeling their defense was going to be really, really good. So invest. If one side of your ball, offense or defense, you project out to be one of the top five on either side of the ball, spend the money on a backup quarterback. Because even if your offense isn't great, but you have an unbelievable defense and you have a couple of good pieces on offense, Jacoby Brissett plugged into the New York Jets right now. They, they win eight, nine, maybe even ten games up. Maybe not ten games at this point in the season, but they'll probably win ten games over the course of a full season. A lot more than with Zach Wilson. Invest in the backup position if you believe that one of your sides of the ball has the potential to be that good. Um, and we look, we've seen teams do that over the year, right? The, the Eagles are the prime example. They won the Super Bowl with a backup. They came in knowing their defense was going to be really good. They knew their offense was going to be really good. They obviously, Carson Wentz was a huge part of that early run for them. But they knew they were going to be a good football team. And they were real. And Howie's always believed this, like invest in a backup quarterback. Invest in the backup and good things happen. They invested in Nick Foles and it worked out really, really well. And they had to carry an extra quarterback on the roster. And Nate Sudfeld was the third quarterback there. But if you think you have the potential to be that good, or at least one, you know, a dominant side of the ball, just do it. Just invest that money because it could be a totally different ball game. The Bills on the other hand, they get they get themselves righted, right? Joe Brady, great job calling plays. Josh Allen looked like he was taking more of the stuff underneath. Still mixing in a couple of deep shots here. Picked up some plays on on uh, third down or third and fourth down uh, when he needed to scramble with his legs. Uh, the defense looked really good, but defenses always look good against the New York Jets. This was just this was the the Bills, man. This is what the Bills do. They're they're a good football team when they play against really bad football teams. Um, the Jets aren't a really bad football team. They're a horrendous offense with a really fucking good defense. But this is that upside that we always say with the Bills. So like when you say this is what the Bills do, this is what we've grown to expect the Bills to do. We've grown to expect the Bills to be a, a good, competitive, explosive, offensive football team. We expect them to be in the mix at every opportunity. Um, this is what we expect out of them. We expect them to dominate football games and, and to have explosive plays and for Josh Allen to make big-time plays when he needs to. And when he just takes care of the football, like this offense is really good. Like they can absolutely make a run. They just, we need to see more of this. And they did a great job against a really bad, a really, really good defense um, who I think might've hit their wall here in terms of what they're willing to withstand uh, with all the bullshit that is Zach Wilson and this Jets offense. It's, it's unfortunate, man. It's unfortunate for the Jets. It's a tough season. I don't know how you keep playing if you're that defense. Definitely not to the same level that you were. I mean, pride is a hell of a thing, but um, you only have so much of it before you're just like, fuck this shit, man. It's It's got to be painful. We'll see if anything changes with Tim Boyle um, or, or who knows. Maybe even we see uh, Trevor Sim Simeon get in this game. But for now, the Bills, this was a get-right game. Can they carry this momentum moving forward? Because if they can, if they rattle off some of those wins, if they beat the Eagles, if they beat the Chiefs, if they get the wins they need to, they can very much be right back in the mix. Uh, and they already have one win against Miami. So if they can steal another win against Miami, then that says a lot of, you know, hey, boom, you got two games on Miami. All of a sudden that lead drops down to one and you just need Miami to slip up here or there and you can end up winning that division. They're absolutely still in the mix. Um, 
And they have their bye coming up too, which uh, I think will help them. Rams, Seahawks, uh, this game sucked. If Geno Smith doesn't get hurt in this game, I think the Seahawks win this comfortably. Drew Locke played terribly when he came back in. Even with all that, they had an opportunity to bring it down. And fucking Jason Myers, dude. Fuck you. Um, that sucked. That fucking sucked. That was my lock. That would have really just like locked in my second half there. Um, instead, he chokes, misses a chip shot field goal. Um, hate to see it, man. Hate to see it. It's a brutal, brutal way to lose. Uh, but the Rams, uh, they just, they're never done. I don't know, man. We have so many of these four and six teams right now. Um, I mean, if you go across the board, you have the Rams, the Jets, the Bucks, the, uh, who else do we have in this? The Commanders are four and seven. I put them into that group as well. The Packers, the Chargers. Um, yeah, it's just a lot of these mid teams that show signs of looking pretty good. And then, other times they get their doors blown off and they somehow have swept. I mean, two out of the four losses for the Seahawks here are just against the Rams, which kills you for playoff seating. I don't think they would have had a chance to catch the uh, the Niners. I mean, look, I know they still have a couple games left against them, so that obviously you never know. They go Seahawks, Eagles, Seahawks. That's a really tough stretch for San Francisco when they do hit that three-game stretch. But, yeah, man, that's that's a tough one. That's a tough one if you're a, a Seahawks fan. Because if you win that, you're seven and three, you have the same record, and then you're going in with the same record to go into those games against the Niners. Instead, you're now a game back on the Niners. You can still make up that ground, but with the way the Niners are playing right now, uh, that'll be a tough one. But I, I expect them to split those two games just because I think divisional games, you kind of expect that to happen. Um, but yeah, that's a one you that's a, that's a tough one to lose if you're the Seahawks and, and Jason Myers just absolutely shit in the bed on that last kick was brutal. Uh and lastly we have Vito's Broncos, man. <laughs> what was it? Four in a row now they've won. Um really, really impressive stretch here. Four straight games. Green Bay, Kansas City, Buffalo, now Minnesota. Uh not slouches either, man. Not slouches. Credit to to Russell Wilson. You know, I, I think he is definitely on that side of like everyone shit on him for so long. And now we're kind of back to the other side of kind of rooting for him. I still don't like the guy. I, I like that he's winning games for Vito. I like that he's winning games for the Broncos. Um, I still don't think this team's a playoff team. But look, if you look at the remaining schedule, man, Cleveland is winnable with the backup quarterbacks, right? Houston, tough game, but is winnable. Uh, the Chargers, definitely winnable. Detroit, that's going to be tough. Then you have New England, the Chargers and Raiders. You know, that could be one, two, three, four, four, five more wins. I mean, they could get to eight, nine wins pretty comfortably. And next thing you know, they're a playoff team. They're a wild card spot. And again, with what happened to Joe Burrow, when you look across the standings right now, it's it's very much anyone's game for those wild card spots in both divisions, right? Uh, if, if you're looking at the – see if I – sorry, I'm trying to pull off the playoff – rankings yeah i mean if you look as of right now denver would be the 10 seeds they'd be a little bit outside but they're only one game back of the pittsburgh steelers who are the seventh seed as of right now but right now it's an afc you're looking at cleveland houston pittsburgh those are your last three playoff teams i could definitely see all of those switching up a little bit you have buffalo outside looking in indy who did not play this week but they're five and five denver's five and five since he's five and five all those teams are right there in the mix. The Raiders are five and six. So, you know, a little bit outside as well. Wouldn't count them totally out yet, but they're kind of right there in that same little bubble too. Right. I mean, you got a bunch of teams, just one game out. 
um, of Houston in Pittsburgh and, and, and Pittsburgh's offense is, is just brutal right now. You never know what's going to happen. So if Denver goes on a run. If they get to eight or nine wins, it is very possible that they could sneak into the postseason. They'd have to leapfrog Buffalo and again, Houston and Pittsburgh and, and with Cleveland, Baltimore, the AFC North is, is so tough. Um, but you can never say never, right? Never say never. Uh, and then you look at the NFC in the playoff situation right now. Uh, Eagles, Lions, Niners, Saints, Cowboys, and then for the wild card, you have Cowboys, Seahawks, Vikings. Outside looking in there, you have the Vikings six and five, and then Packers are your eight seed as of right now. They are four and six as an eight seed. The Rams four and six, the Falcons four and six, the Bucks four and six, Commanders four and seven. All those teams at least two games back of uh, of the seven seeded Minnesota Vikings. I don't know if anyone's going to catch those, but again, Minnesota, the Josh Dobbs experience could very easily drop. Right. Like that could dry up at any moment. I, I think he's playing well enough that I don't think that's going to happen. And I don't think the Packers, the Rams, uh, the Falcons or any of those teams are going to be good enough to, to put together a little stretch to bump themselves up. Uh, the only way I think an NFC South team makes it is through winning their division. And there's only going to be one team that does that. And right now it's the Saints. So uh, we will see. But that's all we have from week 11 in the NFL. Uh, I am going to get going because we are getting ready for. NFL Monday night, we have the Eagles going to Kansas City. You guys know by now, fingers crossed, we'll be celebrating on Thursday a nine and one Philadelphia Eagles. But we could be talking about uh, this this crazy season getting even more chaotic. The Eagles could drop to eight and two, and then at that point, it feels like it could be anybody's ball game. It still feels that way. But a win here would go a long way for the birds. So um, that's all I got on the pod. Thank you guys so much for listening. We appreciate you guys as always. A little bit longer than I thought I would do for a solo pod, but I hope that's okay. We will have something out this week, whether it's just me or I figure out something with the boys to get us up and together for um, the uh, Thanksgiving break and everything else. Uh, so be prepared for that. We will try to get it out by Wednesday so you can have it for your drives. Uh, and if not, everybody have a wonderful weekend. Enjoy all the f- or week. If you don't hear from us, you will. But if you don't listen to us, have a wonderful Thanksgiving. And we'll be back on the read option later on in the week. And until then, take it easy, everybody. Go Birds! Go Birds!